Coming up on this episode of the Rye Podcast Research and Innovation Discussion Exchange, uh, we're going to be talking about some recent polling, not a ton of polling news. Uh, it seems like this is the time to appoint people to new positions, to come out with like some just general products. So we're going to talk about three main things. The um, Amazon News, where they're adding consumer insights to some of their seller data. We're going to talk about Qualtrics and their new benchmark program that they're putting to their XM. And we're talking about Dig Insights and the new money they got by going to a Barringer Capital firm. We go into some political polling news, a lot of midterm news this week. But then we spend a little extra time talking about Trafalgar and kind of the controversy that's come up about over their last few polls, how they have the same response rate. And like, is there a loophole to how they're doing polls and still maintain this, you know, a minus rating at 538 all that plus a halftime show uh where we talk about the best cookies there are what are are some of your favorite cookies you could have been anywhere in the world but you're here with us welcome to another episode of the Ride Podcast, Research and Innovation Discussion Exchange. My name is Adam Jolly, and Jordan and me, as always, is Adam Dietrich. Good day to you, sir. How are things in lovely Cincinnati? You're in Cincinnati, aren't you? I am in Cincinnati today. Thank you very much. I've been traveling a lot, uh, which, by the way, like we hung out last week. We did, in person, and we didn't How record a pod. I brought a microphone with me. It was like, nah, let's not ruin this vibe. Let's just keep on working. Yeah. Sometimes work does get in the way of recording a mediocre market research podcast. It happens. It happens. Uh, maybe if we can make our work to be the mediocre podcast. That's yeah, something. Sat. Uh, yeah. Well, all right. Big week of me and you last week. Think about it. Like we hung out. We had a we work mm-hmm. just me and you in a room all day. Yeah. And uh, had dinner. Uh one night in Chicago, I was at your home. Yeah. And then uh, we were on a podcast, a panel talking about podcasts on Friday. We were. We were. Uh, yeah. Huge shout out to, I feel like the the regional insights associations groups are really picking it up over the, in like a post-COVID world. Um, some really, really good regional, uh, what, what is that, am I doing that right? Regional Regional meetings? I don't know. Yeah, sure. To call them. But last week we did the the North Atlantic uh, in Boston. They had a great showing and much better guests uh, than you and I as speakers. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, the Great Lakes chapter, which is no longer called the Great Lakes chapter. It's called like Upper North Northwest? Central. North, North Central. Central. Sure. Yeah. There you go. There's just yeah. the week before and had a, a good amount of folks here in Chicago. So, um, yeah, shout out to them. Yeah, our panel on Friday was really trying to talk about should podcasts be a bigger thing? Should be part of marketing? Should you do it for a company? You can do it individual. It was us, uh, Katrina, Katrina and Kristen from Trip, uh, George, who just started his own podcast. He does a video podcast. Per put yeah. it all together. Per Smith, who's been on this podcast in the past. Uh, it was great. And I think we had one question. The only question we got, uh, we had time for was, how do you measure listeners? And I was just like, don't do it. Don't look at, it. Don't look at that. <laughs> Yeah, that was a that was a great question. Um, there was, it was there were some some good smart some good crowd. feedback from the group. Really really smart crowd. Um, and the answer to that you can get if you subscribe to our private newsletter. We'll share our listener uh, listener Pantheon. numbers. Do we need a Pantheon? A part? What is it? What is it called? 
Patreon. 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 Pantheon is a separate company. <laughs> uh, Patreon. Yes, that's uh, for the the blue blue check members of the ride. Yes. I thought you know what I didn't. I should have made the joke during the thing was that Kristen and Katrina's podcast is called Trip, and we're the ride. Oh, and we're the ride. Up. Why don't we do a crossover? We should. We should. They um they seem to put uh way more effort and thought into into their podcast. Uh, yeah. So they don't have long boring intros that the people at the front end of this episode want to uh, push yeah. for. For sure, more likable. I'll give you that. <laughs> Uh, let's jump into some news, shall we? I'll be honest, like, you might be like, man, you guys haven't recorded, it's been almost a month, uh, it's been like three weeks, mm-hmm. uh, there's gotta be a lot of news. There's not. Man, most of the news out there is like promotions of people, or appointments, or new titles, uh, which to me is just like, keep on keeping on, great job everybody, congratulations, here's your flowers, but we're not gonna read you on this podcast, that's not for us. We're talking about innovative things, things that are built, things that... People are doing that not a lot of other people are doing. We're talking about investments, those type of things uh, for our research news. And really, the first one that comes out, Friends of the Pod, Dig Insights, sells a majority stakes to an equity firm. Uh, they sold it to the private equity firm, Behringer Capital. This happened uh, second week of September. Uh, mm-hmm. but Dig CEO Paul Gadet says, we founded Dig because we knew the market research industry could do better. And over the last decade, our team, partners, and clients have helped us on a mission to build the world's smartest insights company uh take it easy paul uh come on uh as we look forward to (laughs) you you cannot you cannot sit here on this podcast where we uh, for me where we we've spent two years being uh well for me it's sarcastic for you i don't i don't know how realistic it is yeah genuinely uh there you go braggadocious good on paul he sells this company gets a ton of money come on i get i get a lot of Adam Jolly vibes from Paul. Just put that out there. Put him on the stage. He's got a lot of the same manner. Like, have you ever seen me and Paul in the same room? Put that out there. <laughs> your own conspiracy theory. Well, congrats on your sale then. Hey, man. You know what? Things are doing great. It's great to have this kind of equity. I'm a big believer in like a rising tides raise all boats. So I'm excited to see what we're going to do with this, this new capital that we have. But along with that, like if you look at like Dig Insights, where they were, you know, Four guys founded the company in Toronto. Then they really doubled down. It was two years ago when Upside really started to take off. That's their AI innovative platform. You've seen them at shows. They have the giant uh, phone that you can yeah. plug in. It comes to like, you know, in a, it's Insights platform that you can run on mobile. It's just, it's self-thinking. Um, and so they have been hugely innovative. I do not know what their grit report number is. But like they really doubled it all in. Like they were like, we're going in on this. And then now to be able to sell off and kind of make the dream come true. Uh, and they're all staying on. Like the, the idea is here, like, yes, there's new owners. There's more capital put into the company. It's like, what can we do with it now? Now that you have them, like you've scaled great, but here's like an embarrassment of riches. Go out and, and make it bigger. And uh, these are great guys to bet on. For sure. For sure. I think um, there are there are a lot of folks who have tried to We've talked about this in this in this in this section of of the pod. There are a lot of folks who have tried to diversify a lot, right? In terms of having mm-hmm. uh, a little bit of their expertise on the mobile side, a little bit on the you know the platform tech side, a little bit on the qual side, all this kind of stuff, and try instead of trying to be uh, just the best at their one little singular part. I mean, Dig has gone all in and done a pretty damn good job of it. So 
uh, kudos to them. And, uh, and also Canada, man. I feel like, yeah, I feel like the Canadian, I feel like the Canadian researchers are, are on fire lately. A lot of, well, they're lot stunned right now. They're stunned right now because SMR is there. And so you're like, man, yeah. I don't even know those people. Canada, you know? Um, yeah, they're, they're, it's having a moment right now. If you look at a, a ton of Canadian news. Uh, next piece of news is not Canada, Canadian. I should have planned that out more. Jeez. Uh, Qualtrics has rolled out its XM benchmarks. It's experience management benchmarks. Uh, so let's start this off. Take a step back. Uh, you may not know what a benchmark is in market research. And if you don't know what that is, first of all, thanks for listening. Welcome to market research industry. Uh, but what a lot of that is, is so like anytime you're measuring something, um, mm-hmm. a lot of, you'll look for benchmarks from historical data from call it uh, secondary research that you've done in the past to where like you can tell like, okay, these numbers look like these numbers. It's going to work. It's going to make sense. Um, it really started out, you know, obviously market research had been a huge wave of advertising research. It's been kind of like the slow build for a lot of these like concept testing tools. If you think about what, what Zappi has done, what Qualtrics did, uh, serving, mm-hmm. you know, kind of gathering as many benchmarks as they can so you can have more confidence in your decisions. But it really hasn't been huge in that XM type experience management thing. Really, I guess, because experience management is not as, you know, prevalent. Like it's so much of a growing, growing type of, of area. Uh, so yeah, that's what benchmarks are. There you go. School's out. Uh, but the new employee engagement benchmarks are composed of data from over 250 science-based questions to ensure the 25 key drivers of every employee's experience, including work-life balance, respect, and collaboration. All these different things go into where you can make a better decision. Brad Anderson, president of products and engineering, says that Qualtrics has more experience benchmark data within our XM platform than any other company. The insights our platform delivers allow our customer to identify performance gaps, opportunities, and best practices across industry and geographies and take action. All within the platform. Uh, Dietrich, what are your thoughts about this? I, I think it's awesome if you look at what automated research and like platform-based research can really grow, let alone what's doing for XM, right? Yeah, um, I, I like that they are, again, we, t- we talked about people spreading their chips far and wide, like Qualtrics has certainly done that, but they have got the resources to do so, right? Yeah. Uh, comfortably. Um, but I like that they started this with the employee engagement side, right? Um, which is kind of their their bread and butter. Uh, it's the place they've kind of been on the forefront for a long time, aside from just the um, you know the, the programming platform kind of thing. Um, so I think it's great. And I, I like, you know, I've, I've always pushed from like a researcher side perspective for more and more benchmarks, whether it's, you know, in brand awareness or, you know, usage testing, all these kinds of different things, concept tests, um, and comped to third party data, government data, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, and that's just not always feasible. So I, I like what they're doing here and it is innovative for sure. Love it. Last piece of news, Amazon, not just a river in Egypt. <laughs> like I make that joke to my kids, they don't get it. So thanks everybody for chuckling there. Uh, they have had cons- customer Adam, insights for Adam, seller. Yeah. Adam, I need to cut you off real quick. Yeah. And Am- uh, a river where? In Egypt. Are you thinking of the Nile River rather than the Amazon? Do you not know the thing where somebody would be like, denial? Not just a river in Egypt. Uh, okay. All right. All right. All right. I'm 40 years old, man. Bad jokes. 
dad jokes on top of dad jokes. It's yeah. Inception of dad jokes. All right. Got it. (laughs) Sorry. Please continue. No, let's just not read this one. No. uh... (laughs) (laughs) Let's just sing. Yeah. Great. So Amazon added a lot of new features. Um, Things like uh, manager experiments, search analytics dashboard, uh, product opportunity explorer. They're really allowing sellers that are on the Amazon platform to have customer insights and have some kind of analytics. So they can see like, do they need more profits, products do they need to um, lower price, increase price, or whatever they can do to help increase sales. You think about Amazon uh, at its core, so much is a, is a marketplace. Um, if you think about it, a lot of brands just live on Amazon. That is like their gateway to get yeah. more distribution, right? To get a, a bigger part. And so to have them have now some kind of customer insights, like some market, this is like broad market research. This is like opening the door to hundreds of thousands more customer insights, market research buyers in the industry that typically would just be using Amazon as just their platform for pushing out goals or goods. Um, this is big, right? I mean, yeah. it goes two ways. It's one, it's you're getting people that never would have run market research in the past. Like they never did mm-hmm. any tests, anything like that. And then two, it might be biting into some market share um, if you think about the agile research world or like trying to do things quick, make quicker decisions, what typically you would see like a full service agency type doing, right? Right. Probably less um, than the second than more of the first. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot here. I I, I guess the, the first thing, and I, I used to live in the world of Amazon's Mechanical Turk, which is their kind of unintentional panel panel. Um, and I think market research has been thoroughly disregarded. Um by them, right? Naturally, as you're becoming a, an e-commerce and, and just commerce Goliath, some of this stuff, like some of the superfluous professional services kind of things get thrown by the wayside. Um, so first of all, I totally share the sentiment with you about like, this is a really cool way uh, for for A, the industry, but it's a big step for them if they are going to be, if you think about, you know, you're launching a brand today, you've got to figure out like, are you going to be in retailers? Are you going to be DTC? And also what's your Amazon strategy going to be, right? Because like, yep. it's this it's its own unique third pathway. Um, and that's, that's really, really cool and interesting. And it's definitely going to be a new place for research. Um, the part that I worry about is uh, there's already been, you know, accusations over the years. And I think some, some legal disputes around um, prioritization in the, the algorithm, right. As to if somebody just, wants to search sweatpants, you know, they have 10,000 versions of sweatpants. How do you appear on the first page? Yada, yada, yada. Um, is that going to be the case to like, you got to think about how that factors into your research, right? So we can, yep. we can attach ourselves to all these new brands. And by the way, there are, if you, if you do a little, little homework on like mergers and acquisitions and, and private equity funding and stuff in, in the e-commerce world, I think over a billion dollars last year went specifically to brands that exclusively sell on Amazon. Um, yeah. and so they are, this is a, there's already a ton of money behind this. And so it's going to be a weird world because it's not going to function in the same exact way that it does to get your product on a shelf at the grocery store. Right. Uh, there it's a digital grocery store to an extent and you got to figure out all the different factors involved there. There isn't just an aisle and you get this much space end of, end of story. So, um, but that's where data science can, can be helpful. So I'm, I think yeah. it's pretty cool. I think it's great too. I mean, to me, like I said, just grows the industry a little bit more, yeah. mm-hmm. uh, get more people thinking about it. Uh, maybe makes more smart people. Yeah. makes that conversation easier. Like when you try to explain what you do for a living. 
uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> to your parents or whatever. Uh, mm-hmm. So good on that. You know, one quick question for you as an aside. I know you mentioned the Mechanical Turk. Do yeah. you think that there is some kind of slack joke going on at Amazon, uh, maybe in the Consumer Insights, Customer Insights um, channels, where they have like a somebody doing a, the robot dance, you know, the typical robot dance, but they're gyrating their uh, butt and they mm-hmm. call it me- Mechanical Twerk? Uh, if that doesn't exist, I hope it does in the near future. Um, there you go. When I was living in the- ride at gmail.com um, <laughs> or you can tweet us at RideMRX. Let us know. Yeah. Send, send your videos of mechanical twerking. We'll put you on LinkedIn. Oh, oh my God. God. There it is. Uh, Dietrich, that's all I got for news. What is going on in the public opinion world? Oh, look at you. Not even calling it. Do you love how I'm getting there? Like every week now, I'm like, slow down, man. It's public opinion. I will used to say public polling, polling, polling. We had an inappropriate name for a while, but public opinion. Public opinion research. Um, Yeah. I'm going to do a couple quick ones. Um, We've had some folks ask about the upcoming midterms. We're now even closer. Um, I'm going to do a few quick things. So the first one is from Pew Research. They put out a an extensive study today about how media habits inform political opinion. Um, they made people choose how they prefer to get their news, right? So this isn't necessarily entertainment or anything like that, but specifically the news. And the options were digital, so on your phone, website, tablet, etc., TV, radio, or print. And we reached an all-time high for digital at 53%, um, which is interesting, I think, for the long term. Um, It can allow people to, A, access news more frequently than just, you know, when the 6 o'clock news comes on, et cetera, et cetera, which is great. Um, But it also means that we have a lot of the stuff that leads to extremism, right? Because you believe, you know, foxnews.com and cnn.com in the same way that you would believe some website that is made in, you know, a basement uh, halfway across the globe with like the idea of misinformation, right? So it's a slippery slope, but um, it is interesting that it's gotten that high. The other part of that that I found interesting is that of people that put themselves into political baskets, so either consider themselves a a Dem or lean Dem or a Republican or lean Republican, that number goes up to 65, 64 and 65%, which means those that are politically engaged and put themselves in a bucket watch more TV than those who are independent, which I think we knew, but it's kind of cool to see that quantified. Um, 33% said they get their news from TV. Radio, 7%, all-time low. Print, again, all-time low, 5%. So tough time wow. to be a newspaper editor. It is, t- or maybe the glory days, you know? <laughs> Low growth. That, what are you going to lose? Where are you going to go? We're going to lose five percent. <laughs> exactly. Bad. Exactly. Um, another fun one. Spider Man. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, the next one I got is from Harris online poll, and I just found this one really interesting because we heard uh, President Biden uh, kind of ramp up the rhetoric over the last couple weeks about I think he called them like MAGA Republicans, right? He's trying to do the thing where it's not just Republicans, it's not just Trump Republicans, it's MAGA Republicans and trying to kind of kind of create an enemy um, and put a name around it. So mm-hmm. Harris did a poll last week. Are you more concerned about the socialist left in America and the power they are gaining or more afraid of the MAGA Republicans and the power they are gaining? 
the response was 55% afraid of socialists, 45% afraid of MAGA. So uh, from that perspective, uh, President Biden and the Democrats have a little bit of catching up to do if they are going to uh, kind of try to create a boogeyman. Um, and I just thought it was interesting, too, because, you know, aside from a handful of House Democrats, uh, not very many Democrats identify as Democratic Socialists, right? They don't use that title, but they've been tagged yeah. with it. Uh, whereas yeah. the MAGA title, if it's a, you know, if, if they're trying, the Democrats are trying to paint it as a bad thing, it's kind of like a badge of honor for some folks. So, um, you know, it was the presidential campaign slogan four years ago, so six years ago. So kind of interesting yeah. brand, brand equity uh, exercise there. I would love, I think we've always, we say this a lot when we talk about brand equity. If the yeah. follow-up question was, choose the definition of socialism from the list below. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And probably, like, oh, cool. I don't know what that means at all. Shit, you're right. Right. I, I know well, what make America great means. That's just four yeah. words. Yeah. And so I some, mean, it's like the unknown yeah. fear and stuff. I mean, it, and plus like, it's just got more of a track record, you know, like if Coke came out with a new flavor today, it's not going to sell as much as Diet Coke. There you go. Now that's maybe my worst analogy, but maybe my best analogy too. It doesn't have the shelf life <laughs> on it yet. Right. And I think, I think, I think that there is, oh, shelf life. That's particularly hot there. Um, but the, I think that it, this is kind of another example of the Republicans have been very, very good. I know that corporate America hasn't really embraced certain factors of, um, you know, some of the, I guess, game plan of modern Republican national candidates um, and understandably so, but they have, they are very, very good at selling through fear, which like, yes, we all want to say like, it's not uh, necessarily, you know, how you want to make your brand attractive, um, but there was another poll last week by YouGov that found 48% of Republicans said that they, uh, there's a, a poll about dire situ dire scenarios in the United States. 48 Republicans, 48% of Republicans said that they, uh, they live under a fear that the federal government will confiscate citizens' firearms. Uh, that was up 12 points in the last two years. So, um, and which I, I actually kind of find interesting if you want to take a, kind of nonpartisan look at it like the democrats have the house and the senate and the white house um those last two years and despite having the power to you know pass gun legislation they've done some some nominal things um some minor things but that fear is still rising because the branding is really good the branding is really good um last thing or second to last thing is pew Again, I said they, they came out with some really good stuff. If you have a mind uh, about public opinion research, check out Pew uh, this week. They've, they've, they're really, really churning out a lot of good stuff ahead of the midterms. Uh, they did a, um, a cumulative tally of all the votes in the midterms, the midterms, or sorry, the, the primaries for the midterms. Uh, over, they just finished up last week. And long story short, Republican midterm primary voters were the highest they've ever been. And they are currently estimating a Republican plus three or, or sorry, Republican plus four or Republican plus five advantage in the midterms. Jeez. Um, that would mean certainly the Republicans would take the house. Um, if you, and this is just using these numbers, right? So this is just based on mid on primary turnout. Um, but, and so it could just mean we have a more engaged electorate than we've had in the past. Um, that was certainly true in 2020. Um, but uh, if the Republicans have a four or five 
point advantage in terms of turnout in November, then they'll certainly take the House, probably take the Senate, um, and the government will kind of screech to a halt uh, for the until we get to the next presidential election. Um, even if you know you're kind of trying to conservatively, um, you know, talk about, hey, well, a lot of that voting was before the Dobbs decision, um, you know, before a lot of this Trump news, et cetera, et cetera, and maybe. Um, you know, maybe Dems are more motivated now than they were at the beginning of the primary season. Um, even then, we're probably talking about a Republican plus one plus two advantage, which yeah. the Democrats, because of different factors in the House, i.e. gerrymandering, they probably need whoa, a three. Whoa, 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 whoa. They probably need a three or four point advantage to keep the House. So um, that that is the quick, if you want to sound smarter at a dinner party, Republican turnout up in the primaries. And now my last thing, we've talked a little bit about Trafalgar Group. They are your favorite pollster, right? Yeah, they're my favorite. It sounds like an old fort. <laughs> it does. Fort Trafalgar, seized by the Confederates and, yeah. Um, no, not seized by the Confederates. Definitely. <laughs> the other way around. It was a Confederate <laughs> fort seized by the Union. I apologize. <laughs> I mean, I think we all know. We all know what type of fort Trafalgar was. Anyway, Repo- uh, Trafalgar yeah, is a... Yeah, yeah, yeah. A Republican polling firm that has uh, received an A minus rating from 538. I'm going to be as fair about this as I can. They have been more accurate, have had a lower error rate uh, over the 2018 and 2020 election cycles than than average. Uh, like I said, they have an A minus from 538. Um, they talk about kind of having a special sauce about uh, identifying Republican voters and getting in touch with them and getting over this non-response bias that's kind of trickling into polling now, which is basically Republicans are less likely to respond to pollsters and, and you know, answer the phone call and all that kind of stuff. Um, anyway, they've run into some issue and some concerns and some suspicion. They've always had suspicion because they kind of just are always a little bit of an outlier. Um, but in the last uh, about 15 or so polls that they've publicly released, uh, they've had the same exact response rate in all these different states and national polls and somebody digging through was like hey that's crazy are they cooking the books here and to their credit trafalgar sat down with uh, a new media company called split ticket if you're an election nerd give them a follow on twitter they do some really good work um and they basically said hey we identify for any race seventy-five thousand people in our voter file we we do about four to one in terms of Republicans versus Democrats, because we know Republicans are really, really hard to get to answer polls. And we basically, from that 75,000, just continuously reach out to them via text. They do live texting, uh, via phone, via email, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And <clears throat> basically get to their tally that they find it to be representative. And that means they have the same response rate, project over project. Um, Mm-hmm. Is it believable? I don't know. They have, like I said, a good track record. Um, but it is certainly a break from the norms. Uh, they've also broken from the norms in the sense that, you know, their founder uh, will openly talk trash to people on Twitter, right? Uh, will kind of be pollster as celebrity kind of thing. Um, but I did think it was kind of an interesting look behind the curtain at someone who is trying to adjust for a new polling reality. So your thoughts, Adam Jolly? Uh, it feels like a justification of a loophole. Mm-hmm. Like it's like, 
it's almost <laughs> it's almost like how Subway like a couple weeks ago they were like, hey, you don't have any fish. There's no fish in the same in this tuna fish sandwich. Yeah, and they're like, well, it's just called a tuna sandwich, right? <laughs> yeah, we didn't say anything about fish, and so they're like, no, like we made this. This is a product. Like we can, we made the product that can be whatever it wants. Like, well, you know, we did the weighting this way, we did this way, we did this way. So, like, yeah, like trust the like look at the end product. Don't look how the, you know the tuna fish sandwich is made. Yeah, and that's where yeah that's where I'm at with this. Right. Just, yeah, it's a loophole that you can justify in the back end, right? I think I think you're right. Um, and cooking the books makes it sound shady, and I'm sure like you know. Trafalgar apologists like jump onto that because oh yeah where we're at now like ah how dare you you know that type of thing so it is it is pretty frustrating for the guy who has been a long outspoken uh pollsters shouldn't be the celebrities right the numbers should um guy to to read some of the replies um because people are definitely super anti Trafalgar or super trafalgar defenders as if having a loyalty to a polling firm makes any sense um as a fan um but yeah Mm -hmm. i think i think your depiction is correct um and who knows if they're accurate again in in 22 and you know come in november we compare and contrast and maybe they are onto something and maybe um maybe there is some special sauce there but uh but for now i'm i'm just as suspicious today as i was yesterday good you should be. You should be. Um, how topical am I? Just bring it up, Subway. That's kind of fun, Subway. right? Eat fresh, buddy. Welcome to the Halftime Show. Wow. That was the calmest introduction you've ever done. Yeah, I'm very subdued right now. Um, I usually this- do the... Uh, 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 what is that called? Like a party horn? Air horn. No one calls Air it horn. a party horn. People. It's a it's a horn that's played at parties by DJs. All right. It's a party horn in my book. Ooh, you go to a lot of this. No, sadly no. All right. Uh, hey, we got tagged on something on Twitter. That's what brought it into our halftime show this week. It's kind of fun. Yeah. Shout out Priscilla McKinney and the Little Bird Marketing folks. They had a conversation about cookies. Yeah, and it kind of launched us into thinking about cookies. Cookies are a hot topic in market research. Uh, people have been telling you that cookies are gone, and Google's going to get rid of their cookies. Cookieless research, uh, first-party data is super popular. Uh, mm-hmm. There's just a ton of stuff. We're talking about cookies and, and quant survey research. Uh, and Priscilla was talking about, like, what is your favorite cookie? And she threw out that the best cookie ever made is the Girl Scout Thin Mint uh, from the freezer. Yes. And um, go ahead. First of all, I want to I want to congratulate you on a spectacular segue, making it market research related. Good job. Always, always, man. They called me Mr. X, MRX. Uh, there you go. Uh, but then, <laughs> what are your? Before we dive in, so we're gonna do our list today of best cookies. Uh, yeah. But Dietrich, what are your thoughts on the Thin Mint Girl Scout cookies? This comes up a lot. Um, I feel like it's it definitely has its segment of the population. People love it. Plus, like it's seasonal. I think that yeah. helps. But what are your thoughts on the frozen thin mint cookie? I am a convert. Uh, I love a frozen thin mint. Uh, I do think that it is 
uh, generally helped by the fact that it's only available certain times of the year. Um, and it's just a refreshing change from your usual wherever you get your cookies because it's coming from the freezer and it's mint. You don't get a lot of mint cookies. Yeah, right? um, you're, you are correct. You do not get a lot of mint cookies and I'll just use the old slogan, open for a reason. Um, <laughs> that mint cookies aren't delicious and aren't something that people are craving. Um, I, I put thin mint cookies up there with Peeps um, oh, no. candy canes as far as seasonal treats that we over exploit because they're only available to us for a short amount of time uh, but outs like on their own they're they're nasty I don't like that something needs like an extra step from me outside of how the manufacturer intended it to be uh, you know I'm, I'm an OEM I'm an original part guy what are you gonna say so it's not just that I just can't take the box from a nine-year-old little girl, but then I have to put it in my freezer and let it freeze and then like chomp into it like it's some kind of bathroom tile just so I can feel like I've brushed my teeth with chocolate. And that's okay. You know what? If that's your thing, I'm not going to yuck anyone's yum here, but You're... it's a disgrace to cookies. And I'm starting to wonder like, where was the misstep along the way? You'll remember, like, loyal listeners, that this hang are on. sitting right there. Like coconut crunches are right there, right at the same table outside of your Kroger. Is someone selling these things right next to him? Notice how I said the coconut crunches because, again, we're Ford Think Podcast. I'm not going to call them. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that I think that it's called caramel delights. And, caramel delights, and it's still called Samoas based on your part of the country and where their distribution is. Yeah, I, I bet you it's Samoas at the uh, outside of the Trafalgar Fort. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> callbacks. Um, um, but anyway, I'm not going to. You, you took a very uh, hot, takey stance. I'm sure people are going to be. Uh, frustrated or uh, in support, um, way to spur engagement. But uh -huh. I just want to remind everyone that this is the same man who last October said that candy corn around Halloween was like the greatest candy sweet treat ever invented. I so that. I don't think I said that. I don't say. That. I okay. do like I do like me some circus peanuts. Those aren't bad. <laughs> um, which I know that's controversial, but I just you know. Do you know that they... Okay, here's a question for you. I bet you we would have some similarities here. There would be like the, the overlapping in the Venn diagram is if you were like, do you love frozen Thin Mint cookies? And is gum a candy? Those people are going <laughs> to say yes. Like those people really enjoy a nice stick. You know? They just, Altoid. They, they're all in on... Oh, don't even get me started on Altoids. Just, woo! Just put your seatbelt on before you have an Altoid if you're in this Girl Scout Thin Mint camp. That's just too much of a good thing. This is slanderous. All right, go on. What is your what? Is, let's let's get started. With favorite oh. cookies. Give me give me your first one. Yeah, I'll give one. Uh, I'm gonna go easy first, and then I'll get a little bit weirder as we go. Uh, Eel fudges. Ooh. Uh, made by Keebler. They're in the shape. I feel like they were everywhere when I was younger, and now they might be taken back. And it's because they're in the shape of the elves, the Keebler elves that make them inside their tree. 
Uh, they're like a shortbread with a chocolate filling on the inside. Um, mm -hmm. As a child, it may be this, I mean, this is decades of therapy probably I could unload, but I would love to just like bite the head off of them, you know? whatever okay um but i they're delicious you can dip them in milk you cannot you don't have to have them at a certain temperature that's a big plus i think that you'll find with all my cookies that i mentioned uh but eo fudges uh never seems to be enough of them in the pack i'll say that that's a good pick that's fine that's fine um why did it rank them um easy first mine i'll i'll stay on topic of of seasonal cookies um first not first on my list but the first one that i'll go to uh is a cookie that everyone enjoys when they are flying it is the delta airlines and i think united airlines now biscoff cookie it's a little cinnamon little biscuit style mm -hmm. cookie and you get two of them on a flight and everyone says mm, i wish i had those more often well guess what i did I found a place to get them more often. I have no less than, how many do I have here? You can hear it on the mic. I have 8.8 .8 ounces per sleeve of Biscoff cookies made by Lotus since 1932. They're delicious. I dip them in my coffee and you can use them as a crumb uh, if you want to break them up on any type of uh, home, home, good, home baking uh, goods you might make. I love it. I love this idea from you to have that. I love this idea that you want, like you take the pieces of an experience and try to like perk it in other places. That, I, to me, that's how I feel about ginger ale. Like if I like yeah, have a ginger yeah. ale at the house, I'm like, look who's, on, look who's going through TSA. Um, do you and the, the Mrs. co-host of the ride ever just like get dressed up, sit around the house and, and act like you like enjoy the finer things with these dust cookies? cookies? Yeah. Um, no, we do not. Thank you for your insinuation. I I've taken up putting them on my uh, on my ice cream as well. So there you go. Oh, hey, hey, that's and, not bad. And you what know type what? of ice cream? We we like give something like like a anything. vanilla or like a butter yeah, yeah. butter pecan. Watch out. Ooh, exactly. Yeah. Um, yeah. Also, free ideas. If cookie crisp is a thing, a cereal that's been sold in America for 30, 40 years, Biscoff, get in the cereal game. They do have, uh, they have that cookie butter, Biscoff cookie butter. It's like a spread. Oh, so yeah, good. Yeah. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. And good pick. There you go. Good pick. Thank you. What's your number two? Uh, number two for me is, uh, so my oldest son is, uh, we're flirting with this gluten-free. We're giving gluten the bootin' okay. at, at the Jolly Home. And so um, he, trying to find a gluten-free cookie or snack or cracker or anything is like almost impossible. Uh, gluten-free Oreos are great, maybe better than the original. But uh, gluten-free is a company called Partake. Uh, they sell mm -hmm. them at Target. I think they sell them at Trader Joe's. That's where we usually get them. Uh, but they make a crispy chocolate chip cookie that might be better than any chips I've ever had. Partake crispy Whoa. chocolate chip gluten-free cookies. Wow. Look at you. You're yeah. definitely not making any friends. You want to be classy? You want to be classy? Look at me. I don't even accept gluten on my list. Wow. I'm impressed. Um, and you're very unpopular at Fort Trafalgar today uh, with all these gluten-free soy boy picks. Coastal um, Elite. Coastal Elite at your Trader Joe's. Um, <laughs> my next one is from the Coastal Elites. It's Levane Bakery Cookies. Um, if you're not familiar, Levane has become like a cult stop for New York City tourists uh, to, to buy these massive 
uh, chocolate chip cookies. Uh, you stand in line, the whole the whole thing. Um, they've expanded. They now ship uh, frozen, like just giant hulking balls of cookie dough. Um, and they have uh, shops across the country now. We've got a couple here in Chicago, um, and they're amazing. You throw them in. You throw them in the oven, and I, th I think each one has to be like half a pound and unbelievably unhealthy. Um, Are but they it like is... Otis Spunkmeyer's? No, they're like. I, I don't know. I don't know what an Otis Spunkmeyer cookie is anymore. I just know the name. Um, and not to be confused with Orville Redenbacher. Um, but they, they're good. They're massive, and they have like the giant Hulk and chocolate, chocolate chips, and then they're melted. And again, it's an experiential one, but it's really, really good. Uh, if you get the chance, get yourself a Levain chocolate chip cookie and don't weigh yourself after you get done. You know what? Before we go after our last picks here, uh, yeah. have we lost touch? I, like, right? if we go back in time and you've got like, you know, 16 year old me in, mm -hmm. you know, armpit Kentucky and, mm -hmm. you know, little Dietrich in Speedway, Indiana, are they looking at mm -hmm. this list and being like, what are you talking about? You yuppie. Yeah. 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 Like, what are you doing? Um, like, where's the fudge stripes? Let me, what, let me bring it back here for my third then, Adam Jolly. I'll jump in. All right. My yeah. number three cookie, but number one in my heart is the Speedway High School Cafeteria butter soaked snickerdoodle uh they would sell uh, yeah, yeah they would sell these things that were again probably equivalent i mean we got to be talking at least a thousand calories uh well over 100 grams of sugar um enough sodium to you know stop most weak hearts um but these things were amazing brown sugar uh a little cinnamon on top and they were always piping hot cafeteria ladies looked after me um, they would come in like a little sleeve and yeah. it would be, it would be like drenched in butter. Um, huh. and you know what, with a 16 year old metabolism, you could do that kind of thing every day. Uh, and that is forever my number one cookie. I went back a few years ago and spoke at my high school and got this snickerdoodle, uh, because it's that good. Good, good. That's a good rebound there. I always thought that snickerdoodle had a lot of branding issues because it is not a snicker, you know? I always thought that yeah. was kind of a thing. I expect like some caramel with some nougat and some peanuts and stuff, and then you just give me cinnamon sugar. Um, good for you. That that's a nice pick, man. Way to go back. Uh, my last pick is technically it is a cookie, um, and it is a fantastic cookie. I would argue the best cookie, and also the one like people forget. But if you were to add it again to that list, just like we did with what, what is socialism. Like, what's your favorite cookie? And it would be like Oreo, usually, you know, Oreo, Chips Ahoy, yeah. Yeah. off, and then you put cookie cake. <laughs> uh. <laughs> Everyone's going to say cookie cake because it's more than just a cookie. It's the experience that you have. So my number three pick is cookie cake. I got to tell you, like, we've gone through this phase, like, uh, my oldest son he has this group of friends. There's probably like five of them, and it seems like we're always together for somebody's birthday or maybe like their sibling's birthday, and everybody gets over to it. And it's yeah. just become a thing amongst the dads. Like, can we, how many large cookie cakes can we house between us? Um, and like, we started off, we were cutting them in squares. Now we cut them out like piece of pizza. Uh, <laughs> Slicing it? Okay. Just like do like a slice, like a nice firm slice of cookie cake. And throw it down especially put some icing on it hope you know make sure cut out the birthday boy he gets his own name or whatever but yeah. cookie cake to me is probably the best cookie out there 
Uh, I, I, plus, it, like, it evokes some memories. Like, it, it's the party. It's everybody's around. It's candles. It's making wishes. It's not telling everybody your wish because you want your wish to come through. It's going to the mall, right? At that little kiosk. Yeah. yeah. Some bourbon chicken. No, I don't want bourbon chicken. I want this cookie cake. That, to me, is the cookie cake experience, and it's the top for everybody. I, I love what you're doing here. Um, the only question I'll ask is, is an ice cream cake better than a cookie cake? Uh, no. Okay. All right. No, ice cream cake, you have a time allotment. I would argue that as the party goes on and as like the, you know, the good vibes are, are, are flowing, you know, you got some adult beverages or whatever, the cookie cake gets better and you're just going to have a puddle of DQ ice cream cake. Okay. All right. So if we've yeah. learned anything today by this way too long halftime show, it's the fact that uh, first party, third party cookies going to meet their end uh, sometime in the next few years and that Adam Jolly will always choose his dessert based on convenience. A thousand percent. That'll do it for this episode of The Ride Podcast. As always, if you'd like to be a guest on the podcast, if you have some news that we missed, if you have a comment on halftime shows or polling or any of the news, uh, you can reach us at RideMRX on Twitter, uh, our own personal Twitters, or you can feel free to send us an email. That's researchpodride at gmail.com. Uh, thanks, everybody, uh, for going to the LinkedIn page. It's typically where we post uh, where a po- when a pod comes up first on the, on the Ride page or on my own page um but also uh, make sure you look over us on twitter we're going to try to get more involved there as well uh thanks everybody have a great week